Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Dr. Matt Shamlin. Matt is pastor of Rose Hill Baptist Church in Ashland. Matt's a faithful Kentucky Baptist. He's a soul-winning pastor, great leader, good friend. Matt, thank you for taking the time to join the program. Dr. Gray, thank you for having me on. I appreciate you, brother. Let's jump right in. So you pastor in a great part of eastern Kentucky. Tell us your favorite thing about living and serving where you where you are. I love pastoring in eastern Kentucky. I love pastoring in eastern Kentucky because people here are down to earth. The people here are fairly plain spoken. I love the land of eastern Kentucky. Uh, I like to get out and hunt. I like to get out uh, just to get outside and do things. Um, so that makes a great place. And I love Eastern Kentucky because it's in the heart of Appalachia and Appalachia is a place that has the remnants of a gospel culture, but that's in the distant past. I mean, I could even say it this way. The place of Eastern Kentucky is a place where the grandchildren of God live. And we know that there, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And so they have a Christianized language, a Christianized culture, but don't know Jesus. The rate of lostness in eastern Kentucky and much of Appalachia is equal to that to New England. And so it's a place where the gospel need is needed. Churches are needed. Church plants are needed. And so what a great privilege to serve here. And Matt, where you are in particular is kind of, it's not really northeast eastern Kentucky, but it is kind of northeastern Kentucky. I mean, you, you border, you're, you're almost in West Virginia. Yeah, that's right. My house is actually closer to West Virginia than it is to my church. Um, I can see, uh, I can see Sarah Palin said she could see Russia from her house. I can see I can see West Virginia and Ohio from my house. Well, we're grateful for your ministry. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become a, a believer? And then how did you end up being called to ministry? So my family, uh, my family attended church on Sunday sometimes. And uh, at eight years old, my parents were going through a pretty messy divorce. And that's in the early 1980s. And so that was a time where most people weren't divorced. And so that was pretty ugly. And my brother was a part of a local church play and that local church play uh, traveled around and they were at the Dunbar uh, Gospel Tabernacle, which is a little tiny, uh, or actually, I'm sorry, Roxalana Gospel Tabernacle, which is a little kind of, you know, country church. And uh, Waitman Newhouse, the, the faithful pastor, got up and presented the gospel after the play. And he said, if you want to get saved, come forward. Well, I wanted to get saved, but I didn't want to come forward. And so crossing over the tracks into North Charleston, where I pastored not too far from there, uh, I asked my mom, I said, do you have to go to church to be saved? You know, I didn't know. And she said, no. I said, well, what do you do to be saved? And my mom led me to faith in Christ driving wow. down the road in the car. Wow, that's incredible. And then, so you were a young boy, got saved there, and then tell us about your spiritual pilgrimage, and then how did you finally sense a call to, to what we call vocational ministry or, or Christian leadership? So that's a pretty amazing uh, story because uh, that's a story where I was not raised in church thereafter. The, the little bit that my parents went to church, that stopped when they got a divorce, and uh, my grandparents loved Jesus, faithful to walk with Jesus, and my grandfather would always ask, have you all been to church this Sunday? He knew we hadn't been to church, but he was asking that question, and I mean, when I would even go to sleep at night, I would always pray. The only prayer I knew to pray, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's all I knew, 
And then at 18 years old, I came in contact with a youth pastor who really went after me. And, uh, and through that, he started to preach the gospel. I started to hear that. I didn't like what I heard. And because I didn't realize the whole time the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And I've gone back and looked at that many times. And what I look back now, running around, doing things with my buddies, drinking, all that stuff. Now I look back and know that there was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know what that was at the time. But now I know that was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So at about 18 years old, I followed the Lord in obedience and baptism and uh, had rededicated my life to the Lord. And almost immediately, I started to sense the call of God in my life to pastor, to preach. And that youth pastor was a huge influence. We went away to a a go-tail camp at Liberty University. Wow. And I went... Rick Gage. Rick Gage, that's right. And I went... uh, I I mean, and you've got to understand, we're sitting in the room. James Merritt was the campus camp pastor. And he wrote down Jesus. Well, I couldn't spell Jesus. It was printed on a banner behind me. And I'd have to turn around to learn how to spell Jesus. And uh, and from that, I remember Charles Billingsley, Jamie Regal had preached that night and gave a gospel invitation. And so many people came forward. Charles Billingsley came off the stage. He was leading worship, came off the stage, leading people to Christ. I was leading people to Christ. And at the end of that, I told my youth pastor, now I need to talk to you. And that's where I surrendered, uh, surrendered my life to ministry and just have never looked back. Well, Matt, you described something that's really important to Kentucky Baptist right now. So uh, we just finished mission board meeting the last two days. We introduced a priority, one of our priorities for this coming year called reaching the next generation. And a youth pastor reached out to you. And what I heard you say really resonated with me because you said he pursued you. He, he, he didn't just, kind of welcome you here. We've got some games. He kind of came after you for Jesus. And the reason that meant so much to me is that my youngest daughter, when we we moved here to Louisville, kind of had the exact same experience. A youth minister at one of our, one of the Kentucky Baptist churches really pursued her uh, for discipleship and impacted her life. So thank you for reminding us the incredible difference that a youth minister uh, focused on reaching people can can make. So you've had lots of ministry roles since you've answered the call. You serve as professor at Tri-State Baptist or Tri-State Bible College. You were director of evangelism for West Virginia Baptist. You were also interim executive director, if I'm not mistaken, and then of course a pastor. So tell us a couple of leadership lessons. That's what we call this program. Tell us a couple of leadership lessons that you've had to learn either the hard way or some way. Yeah, so in leadership, you're always going to be leading people who have more wisdom than you, going to have more experience than you. Um, But when God calls you to uh, a role in leadership, he's going to guide you through it. He's going to use that opportunity to grow you and hopefully uses that opportunity to make a positive impact on others. And so it's easy to be disillusioned by a position. But remember, God's not called you there to uh, to revel in a position, but God's called you to that position in order to make a positive impact, an impact for the kingdom. And so what I always tell those I mentor, uh, always tell those that I try to impact is you got to fight for humility. There's a lot of pride that can blind your eyes, but that you can't. Don't be blinded by pride. Fight for humility. Um, Also, I remember had been uh, when I became the interim executive director, looking into a room full of people, and many of those had been 
in ministry longer than I had been alive. And that that was uh, breathtaking, if you will. Yeah, but sure. I knew that there was a task. God had called me to the kingdom for such a time as this. And there was a task to accomplish. At that particular time, the West Virginia Convention was in bad financial shape. And uh, I, in one single day, I defended my dissertation, became the interim executive director, and was told that we didn't have enough money to pay our staff. And so I knew that it was time to get to work. And so God, God's faithful. He is faithful. He's faithful not just in calling people to himself. He's faithful in equipping us to ministry. And those ministry times, whatever the role may be, if he's called you to it, he's not just called you to it, but he's called you to prepare you for it. And so I'm very grateful for that. Um, and, and there's a lot of people. If you lean on people, and I mean that in the best way, yep. God will surround you with people who will not only make you better, but will make, make the task that he's called you to better. Uh, Man, so, I've got to come back. I've got to come back to something you said. I mean, the first thing, first words out of your mouth was that when you're in leadership, you're going to realize that you're leading people who are smarter than you are, wiser than you are, have more experience than, than you have. When did you, when did you first realize that you were leading people that fit that description and your personality? Did you feel the need to impress them or did you feel the need to just say, but I just need to be humble here? What was that? What, what was that like? Well, so. I've always found myself in one leadership role or another. And uh, in fact, I was even a high school band director at one point. And I'm, I was a high school band director. I believe God used that in my life for a couple different reasons. So I initially went away to college on a full music scholarship. But before I actually went to that college, God had called me to full-time ministry. And so I knew in that one semester I went away to college for the music that I wasn't going to stay and that I was going to leave the next semester. Later in a discouraging point in ministry, thinking maybe I need to walk away from ministry, maybe I misunderstood the call of God. He, he by his grace, enabled me to re-examine, if you will, that call and allowed me to be a band director. Um, and we got superior ratings. We, won, we, we were a great marching band. We were a great concert band. But I knew then, and, and even in that success, that that's not what God had called me to do. And so I knew that there were skills there that I had to sharpen. But he surrounded me with incredibly skilled people. So in order to be successful in an area that you're not skilled in, you're going to need to trust in people who are more skilled than you are. And so that brings humility. I, I'm a guy with a lot of anxiety. And so uh, sometimes the... Uh, Sometimes it may come across as pride or confidence, but it's actually, I just don't want to embarrass myself. Yep. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's, but, but again, uh, anxiety, that type of anxiety and pride really, let's be honest, is more pride in what I can do than it is trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. And he'll oh, bring absolutely. you to that as well. Absolutely, Matt. Some folks see a glass half full. Some folks see a glass half empty. I see a glass that I could spill on myself and make a fool out of myself. That's what that's me too. <laughs> but but you know the great thing I'm I'm working on an article called um, I'm not a rock star you're probably not either and that's okay there there are some rock star personalities in ministry the Lord always gives a few but the good news is God uses really plain ordinary people to accomplish his his work and that is the vast majority of those who are in Christian Christian leadership Amen Amen.
So, so um, you mentioned kind of a challenging time. You described something there where you had to re-examine your, your call, and you mentioned that was a discouraging kind of a spot for you. Anything about what made that particular leadership moment most discouraging? What, what, kind of what was going on with you or internally, or what made it so difficult? So I graduated from Liberty University, which was at that time a real, um, a, a real hot, hot spiritual place. Right. Uh, God had used it in incredible ways. God had used incredible pastors and leaders to really invest in the lives of the students at Liberty University. And when I came home, uh, came back to West Virginia uh, and, and ended up on staff at a local church, I, I really thought that all the churches, remember, a guy not raised in church, I really thought all the churches were like the churches I heard about, First Baptist Church Woodstock, or Thomas Road Baptist Church. And when I came home, I found a church that was idle, and I wanted to be a part of the staff that really impacted Charleston, West Virginia with the gospel. And because of the leadership, we found not only was it uh, what not only was that not their goal, but they were going to actively work against me. I was on staff. And so I had a pastor who um, he was a difficult personality and it was a very difficult and discouraging time to the point that I was ready to walk away from ministry. And I, I remember being at then my girlfriend's house, getting on the Internet, looking, uh, looking on the Internet because I knew I'd wanted to be a Southern Baptist because my understanding of Southern Baptist is every Southern Baptist is a soul winner. Every Southern Baptist church wanted to reach lost people with the gospel. That's what I wanted to be a part of. And so I looked up a name and I found the name of a guy who had been in the dorm downstairs. I was in the upstairs. He was in the downstairs in that dorm. And he said to me uh, these words. The first time we had talked in, in about five years, he said, Matt, are you still preaching like you used to preach? Because mm. I used to travel and preach with ministry teams at Liberty and at that point, I was now turning down opportunities to preach, even my own church, because I was so discouraged. And I remember saying, Jacob, I'm not. And he said, we need to meet. And so we, I was ready to walk away from ministry. It seemed as though God was giving me success in other areas, and maybe I misunderstood his call. And, and Jacob told me, he said, Matt, I want, to, I want your resume. I mean, even the pastor was trying to encourage, was trying to pressure me to leave. He said, I want your resume. And, and he said, I'm going to send it to two churches. And so my girlfriend and I, she's now my wife, we interviewed for this one church and it was a small, difficult church. And the deacons literally got in a fight at the table that day. Oh, and a, and one, one of my dear friends told me, he said, Matt, he said, you don't need to be a senior pastor. He said, you would be a disaster. Well, those, those words hurt. They hurt so bad. But those were exact. Those were the words that I needed to hear. And they sent me my resume to another church, Good Shepherd Southern Baptist Church in Taze Valley, West Virginia. And I remember being scared because the people were nice. It was a healthy church. And it was, remember, coming from an unhealthy church, very strict church, uh, very legalistic. And I remember that evening they had a fellowship gathering a dessert fellowship to get to meet my wife my by that point my wife and I and watching one of the sons of the pastor dance across the parking lot he was just a goofy teenage kid and nobody jumped on him nobody attacked him and I knew that moment this sounds so crazy but I knew that moment not only was it a healthy church I didn't even know what that looked like 
But these were people who loved Jesus. And boy, did I hope God was calling me to that church. Wow. Yeah. And and if God would not have called me to Good Shepherd Baptist Church to serve as their music minister, their associate pastor, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation today. That's incredible. And praise God for your friends. So you're, you know, you're mentioning these people, Matt, who have, have jumped into your life at pivotal times. And no doubt that's the work of the Holy Spirit prompting them and leading you. So you've you've transitioned a time or two in ministry. Uh, how have you kind of known when it was time to be open to the next assignment from the Lord? You know, I, I, I think there's a couple ways. One, when you just sense God's moving you, and, and, and it's not because there's anything wrong with the church. Sometimes, um, and I think it, this sounds so crazy, but it sound, it's, it's of God's grace. Sometimes God makes you view the church you're at or the ministry position in a negative way in order to get to, to for you to be sensitive enough to walk away. Maybe that's because of the, our own weakness. And then you look back and you go, why did I ever leave? They were such wonderful people. But I think that that was, you know, maybe we could call that the Macedonian call. God's God's calling you to a different place. He's, he's opened doors. And sometimes those doors are difficult to distinguish. There There have been places I've served that when God called me away, it was very clear. Uh, there's been places I've served that I wish God would call me away, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm thankful for that. God's always been really gracious. And then, then there's the other times where the burden, I think about Paul in Acts 17. Paul's in Athens. He's, they're, they're people who are very discouraging, laughing at him. And Paul leaves, and he leaves Athens, and he goes to the next place, and he goes there, and he has to be encouraged. God blesses him when he goes to the next place. But in Athens, he was discouraged. If people are not responding to leadership, because remember, leadership comes at the will of another person. Yeah. If if people are not responding, then I think that you at least have to pray through. Now, are the pray pray through that situation? Is God calling me somewhere else, or has God call, called me here? So, I think that the the clear carry call of God and the clear burden to move when doors are open or closed. Yeah, the Lord the leads Lord, people, doesn't he? He does. So, uh, Matt, you have a particular interest in church revitalization. Can you give a Can you give a real simple definition of? Uh, I, I kind of have a sense that church revitalization is today what church planning was twenty or thirty years ago. It's kind of the it thing, and a lot of folks talk about it. But how would you define church revitalization, and how do you know when a church has been revitalized? So, I'm going to give you the most simple definition: a church okay. that is revitalized is a, the goal of church revitalization is seeing that church return to health. And you'll know that a church is returned. You'll know that a church is revitalized, or is at least revitalizing, when it starts to show those signs of health. And so maybe Acts two forty two through forty seven would be kind of a picture of health. So uh, I've got to tell you this. I went. So when God called me to the first time to be a senior pastor, He called me to a church. My second paycheck bounced at this church, <laughs> and I and. And I remember driving down the road, my wife and I had an $800 Dodge Neon, and I remember saying out loud after my paycheck bounced, welcome to Walmart, how may I help you? I remember saying those words out loud, because I knew that this church, I was going to end up at Walmart because they fired me, or I was going to end up at Walmart because they paid me. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with working at Walmart, but when you start out as a pastor and you end up at Walmart, something's going awry. And so... I remember returning to those the, the, that verse 
and they committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And I, I remember at this church, I did the only thing that I knew how to do. I would pray. I would spend time with people. I would teach God's word. And when I did those things, the church came alive. We became one of the top baptizing churches in the state. And it, it went from uh, a dead church to a church reaching more people than it had ever reached. Even to the point I remember on a Sunday, on a, on a, a, on Sunday school that mo- uh, this particular morning, a, a family showed up. One of my bus drivers had led them to faith in Christ. And so a family showed up and they wanted to be baptized in the morning service. Well, the baptistry wasn't filled. And so we turned the water on the baptistry, ran water hoses from other spigots, anything we could do to get water uh, in the baptistry because they were ready to be baptized. We were going to baptize them. They had trusted Christ. And it was just a sign. I thought, praise God, the church is alive. Yeah. And, yeah. and we saw that in an incredible way. Well, so, I mean, I think Acts 2 is as good a place as any to look at for what a revitalized church look like. looks like. There's good fellowship. There's preaching and teaching of God's word. There's ministry in the community. Prayer, worship is happening. But evangelism is also happening. Right. And church revitalization that doesn't include evangelism and hopefully some fruit following the faithfulness of is probably not really church revitalization. Would you agree with that? I agree with that 100%. I, and I love the way you said that evangelism and probably some fruit Our the task of evangelism our role we can't produce fruit we have to be faithful to the task it's the lord who produces fruit and as we're faithful to the task he he is faithful if we're faithful to plant and this is what i learned in this in that church if we're faithful to plant he will grant us by his grace an opportunity to reap a harvest in a place where we've not planted Matt, a friend of a mutual friend of ours, Don McCutcheon. Uh, so you you know Brother Don. I called Brother Don one time, and and uh, he was a little bit of a mentor to me for a season, and and was really super helpful. What an incredible leader and 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 friend. And I said, Brother Don, I'm not I'm not seeing many people come to faith in Jesus, and and um, I mean Don's a a very kind, compassionate person, and he said, Well, you're not sowing the gospel seed. I mean, he hmm. didn't need to investigate. He didn't, he didn't need to ask any questions. He was just able to say, if you're not seeing folks saved, you're probably not out sharing the gospel. And it was just true. I wasn't sowing that many gospel seed. And as a result, was not seeing many people, people saved. Yeah. Hey Amen. I love Don. Don's a dear, dear friend. And he is. He is just the kindest, most gentle guy. But he also speaks truth. And as a pastor or as a leader, you can't lead people where you're not going. They're going to emulate what they see in you. If you spend all your time in the, uh, if you tend spend all your time in the study, that that's going to, uh, that may fill people with a lot of Bible knowledge, but that Bible knowledge needs to be applied. And, yeah. and the application of that's got to be active in the community, gospel preaching, gospel teaching. Well, I love the description of where you said you put your priorities in your time. You, you're praying, you were spending time in God's word, preaching and teaching the people, but then you were also spending time in the presence of people. You were with you were with people and church folks and other people too throughout the, the week. And that just tends to make for effective ministry. Well, Matt, you've just led the church through COVID. Hopefully we're have most of COVID behind us. Uh, we wrote a story, I think in Kentucky today about how you serve the uh, elderly in your congregation and how you minister to them so faithfully. Uh, What's something that you learned through COVID or relearned or experienced in a fresh way? So as as one put it, the pastor is the physician of the soul. 
Okay. And so you've got to be willing to listen. You know, I, I think a, a church survey is the craziest idea that I've ever heard. You know, I've only seen that split churches, but as a pastor, you're constantly listening. When I go to the doctor, he'll ask me some symptoms, but then especially the doctors who are specifically trained to listen to your heart, they'll put on the put on the stethoscope and put that to your chest and then they'll close their eyes because they're listening to the shape of the sounds. And so something that a general practitioner doesn't know to do. And it's incredible as you watch them work, they're listening to things that you and I would not pick up. Mm -hmm. And the same is the case for the physician of the soul. You're listening to things that others wouldn't pick up. I learned early on in COVID that some of our folks were really scared and because of simply not knowing what was going on. And I wanted to be able to lead the congregation together. So as I told you, I had been a band director and part of being a band director is you're wanting, you're, as you're conducting, as you're directing, you want to move everyone through the music together as a music ensemble. And so what I, one of the many, many things that I learned through COVID was it's important to move the church together. We have to be careful to move the church together. And, and in order to do that, we've got to listen, listen for spiritual health. And as you listen to spiritual health, you're going to hear things, hear signs that others wouldn't pick up on. But that's what a pastor's trained to do. Yeah. So you were just reminded of good, of good. And because you listen well, you're able to serve the congregation. You may not have done exactly the same things the church down the street was doing. You did some of the same, but you cared for your particular flock. I mean, that's right out of Proverbs. Um, I want to think chapter 23, 27, somewhere in there. Uh, know well the condition of your of your flock. Pay attention to your herds. And that's what you're that's what you're describing. Matt, you uh, you're a blogger. You have a you blog with the tagline of leadership, Appalachia, and Jesus. What kind of things do you write about? Well, I, I write about leadership, Appalachia, and Jesus. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, in I in theory, in, I walked into that one. Yeah, well, that that was too easy. But um, in in theory, uh, it, it's not something that I get a, to give a lot of attention to. I try to use it just as a different way to shepherd people. Um, I write on, uh, for example, we had a guy who. Uh, passed away, and he was very involved in disaster relief. We talked about him. I, I write about how to prepare a sermon, different responses to, you know, if I preach a long book or preach a preach a, something from poetry, I try to write about um, how to study the Bible, some different Bible stools, tools, just a different way to help shepherd people. So you are a big fan of uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In fact, I think you have a bobblehead sitting right there in front of you. I also know you have a replica pulpit, a Spurgeon uh, pulpit that you preach from behind. Uh, tell us something that you've seen or the, the practice in the life of, of Charles Haddon Spurgeon that influences you and you'd love to see more of in your own ministry leadership. Well, I love, Spur I love Spurgeon. Spurgeon's a man who struggled through, as I talked about, anxiety. He struggled through depression. Uh, but Spurgeon is a man who leans, leaned deeply on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Spurgeon so much, as, as I like to think of Spurgeon, it's where doctrine meets zeal. That's what you have with Spurgeon. Spurgeon was called to London when all the people were surrounding him were naysayers, and God used him. And so there's anything that I'd like to be more like Spurgeon in. I mean, Spurgeon was so brilliant. I, I don't have that type of mental, mental horsepower. But what I would love to be uh, is a man who all the more has that steel backbone, who's willing to stand on the sufficiency of the word of God, even if the world be against me and trust in Jesus more in that way. 
And man, I think what you see, you, know, you mentioned the depression anxiety is just he's known for dealing with with chronic depression. And I, I think we would we'd all benefit from if we could have heard Spurgeon's prayers 30 minutes before he went to preach. My guess is we would have heard a man begging out to God, please give me the strength to preach one more time in genuine desperation. Uh, the, the, just no, no room for arrogance, but complete dependence on the Lord. Well, you know, as I said, I was a, I, I attended Thomas Road Baptist Church, and what many people didn't realize that something Dr. Falwell had copied off of Charles Spurgeon was that underneath the pulpit, in the room below this pulpit at Thomas Road, and the same in the case of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, was a prayer meeting going on, and they pre- prayed all the way through his preaching. Um, Jerry Falwell used to say this, nothing apart from eternal significance happen, happens apart from prayer. We have to be a people who are prayer people. Spurgeon would say, they asked Spurgeon, he was asked, what is the secret for your ministry? And he said, my people pray for me. Yeah. You know, at, at Rose Hill Baptist, we've seen a, a great move of prayer. Well, once a month, I gather with men, uh, 5.30 in the morning, and we have about 40 to 50 men who gather at 5.30 in the morning, and we read the Bible and pray. That's all we do. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else. And then throughout the month, throughout the weeks up to that time, uh, we meet in the men meet in small groups for that very reason. And we've seen God move recently here at our church that's unexplainable apart from the move of God and the power of prayer. Now, one of the things that you all have seen happen has been a, a revitalization or restart process with Belmont Baptist. Can you tell us a little bit in a brief time kind of how that came about and what's happened since then? Yeah, so Belmont Baptist uh, is a church that's really close to my my house. It's a place that I walked past. I walked past it almost every day in exercising, and um, it was nearly ready to close. Some of the people in my church had come, had grew up in Belmont Baptist, and so uh, a man, the, the pastor there, was legally blind and driving 45 minutes one way to come pastor that church. He was so faithful. He's now with the Lord, and he he needed to retire. He wanted to retire, and so he handed everything over to us. We sent uh, one of our preachers. We've got a pretty deep, uh, deep bench here. One of our preachers uh, went over and, and pastored that church until COVID. And he was doing well. God was blessing. It was growing. And then COVID really knocked the wind out of the sails, really did. And uh, really, really did damage to Belmont. So walking past there one day, trying to pray, ask God, what is, what is it that you're doing at Belmont Baptist Church? And I knew that there was a couple church plants, a Hispanic church plant and another church plant here in the area, and that they needed a building. And so I believe that we were the right people at the right time to carry Belmont to the next stage. And we we transferred that property to that uh, that church plant. Now, so Belmont Baptist, the death of Belmont Baptist made the fertile ground for two uh, Kentucky Baptist churches, one Hispanic and another church plant. And so we've handed that off to them, and now they have more folks meeting there than Belmont has in in decades. Well, that's incredible, folks. Folks will also have heard of your area recently with the the death of Naomi Judd. Do you have folks in your church who have connections to to the uh, Judd family? Well, we're it's a- Ashland, so it's a small community. So uh, lots of folks have. Uh, 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 connections to them and uh, to the Judd family. Yeah. It's a tragic, incredibly tragic story, and to, to watch those girls try to try to walk through it, it does highlight 
the reality that so many folks are living with with great mental emotional struggles and and man no better no better group than the followers of Jesus the, the local church to lean in and help people say that Christ can even help you in this I mean one of the names is wonderful counselor Jesus can minister to us in our, our lowest our lowest times so Matt if I was to ask uh, something about you that folks may not know one thing you'd probably say is that you serve on the National Council of the American is is Israel Public Affairs Committee also known as APAC why are you involved in in APAC and where, where does that take you okay so I'm involved in APAC uh, first because I don't believe that God's finished with the Jewish people. So uh, I believe that he has a future plan for the Jewish people. uh, And that future plan is going to is is in Jesus Christ. Um, And I believe also for uh, other reasons, I'm involved in pro-Israel because I believe that to to be pro-Israel is not just to be pro uh, pro uh, how to say this, to be pro-human, because I- Israel is under an incredible amount of pressure by the, by the almost two billion people that surround them, but also because I'm pro-American. I love America. I don't, I don't think there's any contradiction um, in being patriotic and Christian, uh, but we've got to make sure that Christian precedes patriotism, but I, I'll just say that. Um, and what folks may not realize is that a lot of the Amer- a lot of the jobs that are in Kentucky and are in across the nation are jobs connected to defense. And there are there are bills, uh, there are laws within our own country that require every every amount of defense spending for Israel. All of that has to come back and it creates jobs. Even here in Kentucky, a lot of those jobs are created right here. But it also helps us in our own national defense. When we think about the, the Iron Dome or David's Sling or the Arrow, these mi- missile defense systems, those d- missile defense systems are built in the United States and they're tested continually in, in, in Israel. And so we don't, we, those, there's Iron Dome, there's some Iron Dome batteries here in the United States. People may not realize that now, but they're tested on a regular basis in Israel. And and I sure hope that when it's if it ever comes time, and I hope it never does, but if it ever comes time for our own national defense, that those things are uh, are ready to go. Israel protecting Israel is is ultimately protecting not only precious people made in the image of God, the Jewish people, but it's all ultimately preventing us from being in world war. Remember, uh, if if Israel wades into ma- massive uh, conflict with those around them. The United States of America will have to wade in too, and so we all benefit from a strong Israel. Uh, and so, uh, APAC is a pro-Israel organization. Uh, I, I've had such a privilege to meet some of some incredible people, Jewish people. I speak with APAC pretty regularly, and and people that I just so dearly love. People who love people made in the image of God. That's that's the primary role. Uh, but I've also had the privilege of meeting some of our Kentucky senators and um, well, national senators and congressmen and being on trips with them. And so it's brought me uh, in connection with them. If it's, it's even brought me in close connection. One of my dear friends, Steve Ayers, uh, the, the wild man of Kentucky Baptist. Uh, I love that guy. And it's, he's a great friend. Yeah, folks will be surprised to see you and, and uh, Dr. Steve Ayers walking the, the halls of Congress in Washington, D.C., calling out senators by, by, by name and inter- interacting with them. But I'm grateful for your passion there. Uh, Matt, something else folks may not know is that you're on the board of trustees at Sunrise Children's Services. 
Why is foster care work important to you personally? Foster care work is important to me because of what James 127 says, that this is pure and undefiled religion. Uh, my own children uh, are my children. God brought them to my home through foster care. And I remember years ago not being a Kentucky Baptist and seeing uh, in Kentucky Baptist news and, well, national news, the fight for Sunrise Children's Services. And I have to say, I, I thought there's no way that Sunrise as a Kentucky Baptist organization will continue on. And then when I came to Kentucky, I knew that I wanted to be active in helping promote foster care. Years ago in West Virginia, West Virginia doesn't have a children's home or anything like that. And when I was the state director of evangelism, when I would travel and speak, I would invite um, a pro-adoption, pro-foster care organization to come set up with me. And I remember hearing a lady speak, uh, say this to me after one of the speaking engagements. I asked, I said, when you set this up and it was just pictures of children who were ready for adoption called the Heart Gallery. When you set up the Heart Gallery, how many people from call? And she said, we set it up in a mall. We set it up in government offices. People often call. When we set it up in a church, nobody ever calls. Well, that crushed me. That crushed me. And so I knew that I wanted to do everything possible, whether it be in West Virginia or anywhere or as a Kentucky Baptist, to be pro-foster care, pro-adoption, pro-children's services, family services. And then when I moved to Kentucky, I knew I wanted to be a part of Sunrise. Sunrise is an incredible, it's an incredible Kentucky Baptist organization. It's a miraculous story. There is no excuse for its existence as it does today, apart from the sovereignty of God, the power of God. So I just, I just praise God uh, for being a part of that. Matt, one year ago today, Sunrise was embattled with the state on a contract where the state was trying to force Sunrise, if they wanted to do foster care in Kentucky, to sign a contract that would violate their religious liberties today. Uh, they've already signed the contract for next year with no drama attached to it at all. And Sunrise is actually in partnership with the state in trying to have the first of its kind um, service to teenage boys who are battling addiction and, and alcohol and drug addiction. Sunrise will lead the way in service serving those boys with the state working right alongside us in that. So um, God is able to turn things around in ways that we never would have would have imagined. Dr. Gray, I shared that little bit of information. We have two judges in our church, and I shared that with both of the judges. And one of those judges said to me, he said, that is so needed. He said, it will change your life when you look in the eyes of an 11-year-old who's going through detox. Yeah. My youngest daughter is 11 years old, and the thought that she would ever someone her age would go through something like that's just crushing well there's no place of its kind in kentucky and sunrise is leading the way there and your work is helping them in the work of your church and 2300 plus kentucky baptist churches through the cooperative program and their support of organizations like like sunrise matt uh, last question i'll wrap up our, our time what is one one thing you wish all ministry leaders knew when god calls you to a church he calls that church to you just as he's called you to that church. And when he calls you to the church, he's not only calling you to make a positive impact. Uh, uh, Dr. Gray, there are so many pastors who go to a church and it's not where they want it to be. And then they quit. Yeah. But remember, the very person God in his sovereignty has seen fit to bring to that church is you. So don't quickly walk away, but also recognize 
He's called you there not just to make an impact on that church, but he's also called you there that he's going to shepherd you. He's going to shepherd your soul. He's going to shepherd your family through those wonderful people of that church. They may have been hurt, so they may they might bite you at first, but stay the course and recognize God is using them in your life just as he is using your life in them. And so remember, you're not just called to be, you're not just called to preach to the church, you're called to be a part of the church and you need minister to in that church just as you minister to them. Man, I'm glad you're a Kentucky Baptist. Glad you're serving at Rose Hill. Appreciate your friendship and your involvement in KBC Mission Board uh, work. Matt, thank you for taking the time, brother. Dr. Gray, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.